Well, good morning, Northside. My name is Jacob and I am on our student team here, but I'm excited just to be hanging out with, with the church today as we continue in our series called Quest 52. Uh, what we're doing is we're looking at the person of Jesus, but every week we're answering questions. And this week's question is just simply this. Did Jesus have a life purpose? And I'm sure at some point in your life, you, you've probably asked, um, do I have a life purpose? Or maybe you phrase it like this, like, what, what is my purpose in life? I remember when we were kids, we were younger, people would come and say like, hey, what do you want to do with your life one day? What do you want to be? And one time somebody asked me and my older brother, Jeremy, they said, hey, what do you guys want to be when you grow up? What, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be a minister. Oh, right. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, but then my older brother said, I want to own and operate a car wash. And like, that's pretty cool too. But then we got our minds together and we said, what if? We created a church car wash hybrid, all right? And we had the slogan, we'll wash your car while we wash your sins. And we just like put it all together and we said, here we go. Now, is the theology um, wrong? Absolutely. But was the entrepreneurial spirit there? No, that's a horrible business idea, all right? Like, you're not gonna see that anytime soon. Um, but, but we asked the question, like we get asked the question, what is my purpose in life? And I think we're gonna find today that number one, yes, Jesus has a life purpose. In fact, in scripture, three different times, um, he says, hey, here's why I'm here. here. Here is my life purpose. And he gives us three different pieces of one big puzzle to say, here is his big purpose. He has three different statements that make one big idea. But if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, your life purpose has to be, without question, in line with Jesus's life purpose. And here's where we get a little hazy because some of us, we say, our, our, my life purpose, what I'm here on earth to do is my vocation. And that's just, that's just not it. Your purpose on earth is not the job that you hold. Please hear me say that. Because if your whole life purpose is the thing that you only do nine to five, Monday through Friday, you're missing a whole lot of life. And so your life purpose has to be something deeper. Our life purpose, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, has to be, has to be in line with what Jesus's life purpose was. And today, as we're, we're gonna look at two of these purpose statements that Jesus says, um, I want us to realize that if we, want, if we want to have a life purpose that is in line with Jesus, then we need to act and look like Jesus. But if we want to act and look like Jesus, we have to start to see like Jesus. And, and, and what I'm really saying is when we see like Jesus, we will live like Jesus. I mean, just, just think about this for a second. When we see people in our lives the way that Jesus saw people in his life, it's vastly different the way that I see people in my life. There are so many times in my life where I'll look at someone and because they're doing something, I write them off. I'm like, oh, that person's crazy or all oh, that person's super annoying or I'm not gonna talk to that person. Jesus, Jesus didn't see people like that. He saw people completely differently. Jesus didn't see situations that we see situations. If we see situations like Jesus sees situations, we're gonna walk into the situations differently. If we see our life the way that Jesus saw his life, our purpose in life is going to change. But we have to see like Jesus so that we can start to live like Jesus. Jesus saw his life through the lens of his life purpose. And if we start to see like Jesus, we're gonna to start to live not only just his life purpose, but also how he lived. When we see like Jesus, we will live like Jesus. So if that's the case, and Jesus saw his life through his life purpose lens, what? What was his life purpose? I mean, he has two phrases we're gonna look at today. The first one is found in John 10, verse 10. 
And it says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, this is Jesus talking, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's his first purpose statement. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Now there's three Greek words for life that we find. Um, the first one is bios. And it's the, it's the word that we get to, to make biology. And so it, it's like the skin and bones of life. It's, it's the breathing, it's the walking, it's the activity. The second word is soike. And it's spelled like we would say psyche. It's when we get the idea of psychiatry or psychology. And it's the mind and the heart. It's, it's the soul is really how that's gonna be transformed. And I guarantee at some point in your life, you have said, man, I'm living life and life to the full through my bios and my psyche. Like my, my, my body is active and I'm moving and my mind is engaged and I'm moving. And you have been like, I have felt life and life to the full. I've experienced this in my life. I've been bungee jumping before. It was wild. And, and it wasn't like one of those videos where you see it off of a bridge in the Amazon or like in the Grand Canyon. It was a much scarier place. Panama City Beach, Florida, all right? <laughs> the scariest place on earth. <laughs> And one time I was there on spring break and we're driving down the road and all of a sudden we just see this big tower and we're like, you know what we should do? We should jump off of that. And then we're like, wait, you can? Like, this is, this is crazy. And so we go and I just got to say like, once I got up close to the tower, the bungee jumping tower, let me just put it this way. I would not be shocked if this week on the news, it came out and it said like, hey, bungee jumping tower in Panama City Beach, Florida was just using toothpicks and a really old rubber band, right? Like, I wouldn't be shocked if that's what the structure was made of, but we still paid money to do it. And we walk into the top and there's this moment when you're about to bungee jump where you're standing there and the person's like, are you gonna jump? And you're like, just give me a moment. I've got to pray. And then you gotta look out and you see the gulf and you see how far down everything is. And you see this small little like, kiddie pool sized air mattress that's supposed to catch you if you fall. And they're like, are you gonna jump? You paid money to do this. And I was like, well, I paid 15 bucks, might as well. And then you jump and you go over. And I'm telling y'all, when you are bungee jumping, there's a moment where you reach your full acceleration through the air. You're at that 9.8 meters per second. Your velocity is going straight down. You, you just feel alive. You are in free fall and your heart is racing and your blood is pumping and your mind is going a thousand miles a second, but at the same time, it's completely blank and you just feel alive. And we read this verse and it says, it says, man, I have come that they have life and life to the full. And some of us are like, yes, Jesus, right? Like that's the life I want. I want my blood to be pumping, my heart to be racing. That's not the life he's talking about. There's a third Greek word, zoe. And this life is so much deeper and so much better. Matthew Henry describes it like this. He says, this, this life is real and genuine. Isn't that what we want? A real life to feel something, a genuine life. It's a life that's active and vigorous. It's already encompassing the other two parts of life. We're doing something, we're moving. It's devoted to God. It's a life that's blessed. It's been marked by blessing. It's a life, it says in the portion, even in this world, it says that even on earth of those who put their trust in Christ, but then after the resurrection, to be consummated by new accessions and to last forever. What's he saying in our terms is it's understanding the eternal life while we're still in our temporary bodies. It's understanding that if we follow Jesus and we love him, that we get to live in heaven and it's knowing that reality on earth. That's real life that Jesus says, I have come to give you. I think right now we're experiencing 
a, a taste of that. About an hour and a half south of here in Wilmore, Kentucky, um, there's this college, this University of Asbury, Asbury University. And maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but they're, they're having this thing called a revival. And, and people, my friends are going down there. At first I was kind of like, okay, cool, like revival. Like that's a real neat statement. But my friends are going down there and they're coming back up and they're saying like, man, I'm telling you, things are different there. Like, like life change is happening in that room. People are changing. People are confessing and repenting and people are, re- their lives are on different trajectories now because of what is going on. My friend Caleb was there yesterday. He said 5,000 people were waiting to get in to the chapel. Why? Because there is life and life to the full in the presence of God. And that's the life that Jesus says, I have come to give. That's my purpose, is to give that life. That's his first purpose statement. But we have to remember um, Jesus often taught in contrast. My friend Jim, he reminded me of that, that Jesus often, often taught in contrast. And just listen to that verse again in John 10, 10. He starts, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. That, that's one side. And when he talks about the thief, he's talking about Satan. And he's, he's really talking about how Satan works through these agents, these like false teachers. But then he says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And just look at the difference. In the moments where Satan steals, Jesus says, I've come to give. In the moments where Satan kills, Jesus says, I'm bringing life anew. I'm starting something. In the moments where J- Satan destroys Jesus builds. I don't think it's any secret, church, that there are often times where we try to find life and life to the full through bios and through soike, through our, our body and through our mind and our heart. We think, man, if I, can just, if I can just look a certain way, then I'll have life and life to the full. If I can just feel that bungee jumping feeling, like then I'm gonna have life and life to the full. It's gonna be so great. And the, the body... The flesh and the mind aren't going to give you the life that only the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, can give you. And here's the deal. If we want to see like Jesus so we can live like Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room and you're trying to align your life purpose, he says this phrase, I have come to, to give life and life to the full so that it may have life and life to the full, which means this. If you are a follower of Jesus in this room, myself included, our job has to be to share that. We can't just come down to earth. Jesus didn't just come down to earth and be like, all right, I'm here to party, right? Like, love you, love you to the full. He didn't do that. And we can't do that. We, our job is to share it and to give that away and say, hey, I have this life. Does anybody else want in on this? But the question is then, with who? And maybe immediately you're like, Jacob, of course we know who we're supposed to share it with. Everyone, I watch NFL games, John 3:16. Tim Tebow has it right here all the time, right? Like, that's a thing. I see the signs. And yes, the gospel is for everyone. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But Jesus on earth, during his ministry, he had a very specific life purpose statement. He was after a very specific group of people. Check this out in Luke 19, verse 10. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost. The word lost, when you look at it, it refers to those who are broken. Really, the word gets at being destroyed, being on a path to hell, literally, on a path to hell, in the midst of wickedness. That's who the lost is, and that's who Jesus is after. He's here to seek and save 
the lost. And we really have to know that so that our target is correct. Um, I love middle school students. They're some of my favorite people on the entire earth. I think they're going to change the world. Uh, but a few years ago, we were talking about this exact thing about going and, and seeking and saving the lost. And I had a middle school dude come up to me and he was like, Jacob, Jacob. He's like, I've got a friend. I really need to invite him here. And I was like, this is great. Like, you're a middle school student. Like, you're going to change the world. Tell me more about, like, why does he need to come to church? Like, has he got a bad family life? There's something going on. He said, oh, he goes to another church. He believes in God. Just got baptized. This church is just better. And I was like, ah, wait, like, fist bump? No, no. I, I, I was like, you're, you're, the heart is there, right? Like, you're like, yes, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. But the trajectory, the aim is about 180 degrees off what it's supposed to be. And, and this is why it's so important to understand it's the loss that we're supposed to go after. We have to find, seek, and save the lost. And that's Jesus' life purpose number two, to seek and to save the lost. Now, the interesting thing is this. In Luke 19, 10, he says that. But he's saying that because of what's happening in Luke 19, 1 through 9. And so I'm going to invite you. Open your Bible. With me, Luke chapter 19, one through nine. If you have it on your phone, go ahead and, and open it up to there. I think there is power when the church opens the Bible together. The, the, the scriptures are important to Jesus. They should be important to us too. So Luke chapter 19, verses one through nine, starts like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who, was, who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Pause. Like how short do you have to be that the Bible diverts a whole verse to you being short? Like that's, that just feels intense. I don't know. Like, uh, it's just a lot. Sorry, Luke. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him Gladly. Now, really quick, I'm going to talk to a very specific group of people in here. All of my Sunday school veterans. All right, you ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a... Stop. This is not a cult. All right, I swear. Some of you guys are like, what's happening? Like, I'm just saying there's something so important about these 10 verses of Scripture that as kids, some of us got to sing songs about him. And we were introduced to this man named Zacchaeus. And a wee little man was he. And the first two things we learn about him is that he was a chief tax collector and that he was wealthy. Now, this is really cool. The, the only time in scripture that chief tax collector specifically is used is, is talking about Zacchaeus. And then it says this phrase that he was wealthy. And the only way that a chief tax collector was wealthy is that they are engaged in this practice called tax farming. It's when they would, they would say, you know, hey, the taxes is this much, but then they would charge this much and they would take off the top and keep for themselves. They're, they're stealing. They're stealing from people. And it was very common for tax collectors. And I would say almost a given that a chief tax collector is going to be hated amongst his peers. Even amongst his family. And it's not like his employer, the Romans, are like, hey, dude, like, good job stealing. Like, they don't, they don't care. He just works for them. And so Zacchaeus is in this weird space where his people don't like him. His employer doesn't like him. He's in the middle, which is interesting, though, because on the outside looking in, you would think Zacchaeus is doing okay. Like if we were walking through ancient Jericho, we'd be like, oh, there's Zacchaeus. Dude's got it. He's got the job. He's a chief tax collector. Dude's rich. He is just like he just has so much money. Like I don't like him. But man, he is doing well. But what's interesting is Jesus eventually says he's broken. He's lost. Which means somewhere on the inside, even though he has the money, he's got the job. 
He's destroyed. He's on a path to hell. He's lost. He's broken. He's in the midst of wickedness. And I think he knows it. Actually, I know he knows it because he's willing to risk looking silly, looking undignified, to climb up into a tree just to get a glimpse at this man that he's heard stories of who, who, who can make the, the lame walk and who can heal the blind. This man who he's heard stories can give life and life to the full. And yeah, he, he might have it all on the outside, but Jesus is coming to town. He's like, man, I have to see this guy. I have to climb into this tree just so I can see him. And what's really cool is yes, he sees him. But in verse five, and if you're an underliner, I would underline verse five. It says, Jesus, when he got to the spot, looked up and talked to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. He sees Jesus. But church, Jesus saw him. And if we want to see like Jesus so we can live like Jesus, let me just ask this question. Do you see the Zacchaeuses in your life? That's a pretty churchy way to ask that question. Let me make it a little more clear, a little more cutting. Do you see the people in your life who are screaming for something more? Who want life and life to the full? Do you see the people in your life who are lost and they're broken and they're being destroyed and they're in the midst of their wickedness? These are the people that Jesus is after. Do you see those people? Or is there something about them that just gets in the way or something about you that gets in the way of you seeing them? Zacchaeus, I mean, he had it all, right? You might know this person. You might know this person in your life. Has all the money, has the job, has the car, a Ford Bronco, please God. Like that, they like, they, they, they have it all. They got the perfect family. They got the big house. They have everything. They don't, they don't need Jesus, really. They have all that stuff. They don't, they don't need Jesus. Like Zacchaeus, is there something about this person that you just don't like? They made you mad. You have a grudge against them. You despise them for some reason. You look at them with disdain. And you're like, well, you know, because I don't like them, they don't get to hear about Jesus from me. Really? They don't get to know about Jesus? Because Jesus sees them as worthy of dying for. Let me make this very clear. Every lost person, when I say lost, I mean destroyed, on a path to hell, broken, in the midst of wickedness, Jesus sees every lost person as someone who was worthy of dying for. He does not see lost people as lost causes. Do we? Jesus didn't see lost people who were in the midst of doing horrible things and say, oh, the lost cause. He didn't see lost people as lost causes, but I mean, I know sometimes I do. And if I think if we're honest, sometimes we all do. But because Jesus saw them that way, we don't get to decide who is and isn't worthy of the gospel. We don't, we don't get to decide um, who is or isn't needing of Jesus. And church, to be very clear, we don't get to decide who Jesus died for. That is not up to us. We do not get to decide who Jesus died for. He died for everyone. And now it's our job to seek and save and just introduce them to our savior, the lost. Do you see people like Jesus saw them? The guy who has everything? Because it feels like there's nothing that you could give him that would be of worth. You see him like Jesus sees him? The person who you have a personal grudge against, who you're mad at, do you see them like Jesus sees them? The person that you disagree with politically, do you see them as Jesus 
sees them. The person who has a social media account that's dedicated to, to taking down Christianity one brick at a time, do you see them like Jesus sees them? The person who you know, it would just be awkward, it would be weird if you talk to them about Jesus, you don't wanna do that. Do you see them like Jesus sees them? Even the person who lives the complete opposite lifestyle of what a Christian is being called to live, which I'm not sure if you've looked like into culture recently, but there's a lot of that going around. Do you see them? Like Jesus sees them. Because when we see like Jesus, we live like Jesus. And church, please hear me. Jesus saw Zacchaeus and he said, I must, I must stay at your house today. Here's what's so amazing. Um, Zacchaeus spends time with Jesus. It doesn't say how long. It doesn't say he was there for eight hours. It doesn't say he did a four-day intensive therapy session with Zacchaeus. It doesn't say he's, he just gave him the best sermon he's ever heard in his entire life. It just says he spent some time with him. Um, and then Zacchaeus' life completely changes. He, he, his life is on a brand new trajectory. He, he starts to confess his sins and he says, hey, I've done this wrong. I've started stealing from people. Um, he, he starts to repent of things he's done. He said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a different road now. He says, I'm gonna give half my possessions to the poor and I'm going to, to pay back four times everything that I've stolen. He even grows four inches. That's not true. He didn't. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, really? Like, I need to repent. His life changed though because Jesus saw him. And if we see people, like Jesus sees people, then we can live like Jesus lived. And I think things will start to change, church. I think things will start to change. Jesus finishes his interaction in Luke 19, verses 9 through 10. He said, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to his house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus, I love this. When you read the story for the first time, he was in a tree looking for Jesus, right? We're like, that's so cool. But by the time we get to the end of it, we realize, yeah, Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. Before that, Jesus was looking for him. And Jesus saw him. Can I say, if you're in this room right now and you feel like Zacchaeus, you feel broken, you feel destroyed, you feel tired, you feel alone. You're screaming for something more. Life and life to the full. You want it, you need it, you just don't know where to get it. Kind of say Jesus sees you. He sees you. And he wants to spend time with you the same way that Zacchaeus and he spent time together. Church, I want us to be a group of people, a, a church that sees life, how Jesus saw life so that we live life like Jesus lived life. I wanna be a church of people who, who sees people, not for everything they've done wrong, not for the sin amounts that have piled up behind them, but God, but, but, but people that Jesus saw as worthy as being dying, dying for. We see them as worthy of Jesus dying on a cross them. I want us to be a church who is seeking those out who are seeking out Jesus, even if it's not Jesus that they're looking for. 
They might just be like, I need something more. I need something different. Like something has to change. And they have no idea that Jesus is even an option for that. And maybe you don't even know that Jesus is what they're looking for. But my gosh, I hope that you can see them the way Jesus sees them. I want to be a church who shares this life and life to the full with anyone who will listen. So let me just ask this week, church, will you see like Jesus saw so that you can live like Jesus lived? You know, we don't live in ancient Jericho. I'm not asking you to go up to trees and look for short guys. That's not what I'm asking you to do. But I am asking you to, to see the people in your life who are looking for something more, to see the people in your life who are broken, who are, who are destroyed, who are hurting, who are looking for life and life to the full. And if you follow Jesus, you have the opportunity to say, let me introduce you to Jesus, the Savior. It could be at your job, it could be at your school, it could be in your own family, but you've been uniquely gifted and placed where you just see like Jesus so you can live like Jesus. With people, with moments, with situations, your specific purpose, will you see all those things like Jesus saw so you can live like Jesus when we see like Jesus, we will live like Jesus. I'm going to pray and to finish our time, we're going to worship together. Lord, you are good. Lord, thank you for seeing us. Thank you for caring about us, for loving us. Lord, thank you for making it a goal a life purpose of yours, to seek and to save the lost, to give them life and life to the full. And God, please make that our life purpose as well. Help us to see people the way that you saw them, not as lost causes, but as lost people who need a savior. Lord, you are so good. Give us the boldness to see like you and then the confidence to live like you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand. We're going to sing one more song together.